Good evening, creeps and crawlies, fellow cosmonauts one and all. Tonight, as we step boldly into the new year, we likewise try to step into the mind-boggling vastness of outer space, into its not-so-empty voids, and to faraway star systems that man can only dream of. Welcome, then, to this first installment of an, in an unending saga of cosmic horror, our very first UFO episode. You excited for this, co-host Daniel? Hell yeah, UFOs aren't real. Looking, looking mighty cute over there. Looking like you might get abducted and probed by a okay, flying saucer. Like, like you, it looks like you might like it. Maybe, maybe I'm already amongst us. You know, maybe Ooh. I'm already a reptilian. Already, already getting probed in the bedroom. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen. Um, tonight we bring you uh, some strange and wondrous tales of extraterrestrial terror, incidents seemingly ripped from the pages of some obscure science fiction anthology where flying saucers and little green men abound, but that ultimately inspired true and unutterable fear in those who claim to have witnessed them. First up, and this is through no choice of my own, is a case that has gained increasing notoriety throughout the years and that is well known and discussed in various ufologist circles. Often dismissed as just one more example of the rampant war hysteria that gripped the nation during the 1940s, and having occurred in our very own backyard, there's going to be a lot of familiar-sounding uh, names and places, um, just a few miles from our lavish recording studio, uh, I'm speaking, of course, of the infamous Battle of Los Angeles. Um, the events that took place between the evening of February 24th and the early hours of February 25th, 1942, so far as scattered reports can make out, are as follows. Wait a minute, wait a minute. This was 1942? This was 1942. So, yeah, we were barely getting into World War II. Oh, dude, I, I thought this was, like, not recent, recent, but I thought it was at least, like, 1995s or, like, 2000s. This was 42 and Roswell, like, the, the what would the word for it be? The... Fuck, I'm blanking. But the most well-known case of, like, a UFO sighting is Roswell, and that was shortly after the end of World War II. That was 1947. Oh, so wow. this was, you know, five five years before that, and I think it was before even, like, the whole UFO phenomena had taken off. That was very much, like, a post-war thing, like, after we dropped the bomb. And that's the thing. After we dropped the bomb, like, the UFO sightings skyrocketed, but right now it's 1942 and... You know, Little Green Men, even sci-fi hasn't really taken off like that. That's, again, very much a 1950s thing. So it's, that's why it's interesting to me, because the culture of, like, aliens wasn't around yet. So, like, now, if you see, any idiot fucking sees something in the sky, and it's easy to say that, like, oh, it's a UFO, because we come up with that. Like, we watch Independence Day, and we watch all these fucking movies, so we kind of are already inclined to go in that direction when we see something unexplained in the skies. But at this time, they were more concerned with, you know, fighting the Nazis and whatnot. Yeah, of course, of course. But um, the events of, of those fateful two days are as follows. At uh, 7.18 of the 24th of February, Coastal Defenses stationed in Los Angeles Harbor near present-day Fort MacArthur, having already been warned by a Navy intelligence communique that a Japanese aerial attack would likely be taking place that day or evening, issued their own alert. Likely, uh, they employed the same burgeoning radar technology that the British had made good use of a couple years before when fighting the Nazi Blitz over their own skies. For reasons which were never clarified, 
and for which neither the Navy nor Army command issued any explanation, the alert was lifted at 10.23, and an all-clear was issued to the anti-aircraft batteries scattered along San Pedro. What was interesting was that the alleged aircraft, having been detected far out um, far out at sea to the northwest near present-day Malibu, present-day Malibu, it was Malibu back then too, <laughs> Uh, slowed as soon as it made landfall to a speed that would have caused uh, any aircraft of the day to stall and then eventually plummet to the ground. So this was, you know, at speeds that that no airplane can fly at. Like it was practically hovering. Practically um, inhuman? <laughs> practi- yeah, practically a, a technology that we did not possess at that time. Uh, the Foo Fighter, as these mysterious non-identified flying objects were being referred to at the time, then proceeded eastward, hugging the ridge of the Santa Monica Mountains, where it was effectively uh, obscured from radar. So because of the interference coming from the hills, the radar that initially detected it couldn't see it anymore. So at this time, we had no clear information on where it was. It kind of followed this this ridge line of the Santa Monica Mountains, tracing a route roughly between the West Valley, so think like um, West Hills and Beverly Hills, uh, several crafts at this time were said, according to eyewitness reports, to emerge over Sepulveda Boulevard, which again is West L.A., continuing on a southward tra- trajectory. Sometime around 2 a.m., a general alarm was raised for all of Los Angeles, and the blaring cries of air raid sirens roused the county's residents from their sleep. A few fighter planes uh, were available, and these were immediately scrambled, though the green light for takeoff was never given and air raid warrants marshaled their men. By 2.25 a.m. of the 25th, so the next day, a blackout was put into effect as far south as the Mexican border. Searchlights and anti-aircraft batteries were manned, fire departments were put on high alert, and everyone braced for what they believed to be an imminent Japanese air raid. Oh, they're about to be surprised. They're about to, yeah, not, not coming from Japan, they're coming from considerably farther if some theories are to be believed. Outer space, baby. So the craft, or crafts, depending on conflicting eyewitness accounts, then suddenly, on the drop of a dime and executing maneuvers that would not be seen again until the advent of jet planes many, many years later. So again, doing things that planes of the day just couldn't. Change direction, veering violently away from downtown, where it was heading and moving west again until it reached the coast and skirting the shoreline. At roughly 3 a.m. of the 25th, with no clear knowledge of where exactly the, identi- the unidentified flying object or objects were located. Wait, I have a quick question. I have a quick question. So this is a span from like two to three days that just happened or like just like UFO came down and went away and like, you know. This is the span of like, I want to say seven hours because the oh, evening. Wow. Okay. The evening before. So at 718, they cited something and yeah. they issued an alert um, along, along, uh, Closer to like Long Beach, between yeah. San Pedro and Long Beach, their radar picked something up near Malibu, and they issued an alert at 7:18. But for some unexplained reason, three hours later, at like 10:23, they they issued an all clear. They said it was nothing. All right, okay. but at but at 2 a.m., reports started coming in, and again, these air raid or um, coastal defense batteries uh, started seeing things again. These unidentified flying objects that weren't scheduled to be there and that weren't supposed to be there. Um, that, that was at 2 a.m. And then by 3 a.m. of the 25th, uh, not really knowing where the thing was, just taking in, uh, reports and, 
uh, judging by by what they could see, the 50 caliber guns and artillery pieces that were positioned in Santa Monica. So again, where where this thing reappeared near uh, Sepulveda Boulevard, yep. they just started firing, uh, basing basing that on on only what they could see or believe that they could see amidst the clouds and weaving searchlights. They fired wildly into the night sky, and in doing so, prompted neighboring batteries to do the same. All told, some 1,400 artillery shells were spent in the span of only a few hours. Some were claimed to pass right through the mysterious aircraft or to otherwise veer unnaturally away from their targets, as though affected by some strange unseen force. Many a crewman even stated after uh, the events that they had not been spooked into opening fire, like some claimed, but that they actually saw something in the night sky and took deliberate aim. Regardless, Regardless, they managed uh, not to hit anything, like at all. Not a single aircraft was downed, enemy or otherwise, and the descriptions of eyewitnesses were not consistent with those of any known Japanese plane. In many cases, it was said to resemble instead a blimp or a zeppelin, uh, like those ones common in uh, World War I Germany, except turned on its side. So that classic, like, flying saucer silhouette, like this oblong What? Sausage. So these are, oh my god, okay, continue, continue. Uh, it was said to be incredibly smooth, with no identifying marks or features of any kind. Moreover, not even Japan's best aircraft of the day, of the, day the infamous Mitsubishi Zero, though highly nimble and superior to most other fighters at the time, would have been capable of executing the breakneck maneuvers or snail's crawl approach that both eyewitnesses and radar reports could attest to. Of all the reports, though, one is particularly, mem- particularly memorable. A 10-year-old boy at the time, who would grow to become a renowned anthropology professor at Occidental College, which lies just a few short blocks from our studio, and who would eventually devote a good part of his career to study uh, ufology as a human phenomenon, so as an anthropologist, C. Scott Littleton wrote this. I was an eyewitness to the events of that unforgettable February morning in February of 1942. I was eight years old at the time. Eight years old. (laughs) I was eight years old at the time, and my parents lived at 2500 Strand in Hermosa Beach, right on the beach. We thus had a grandstand seat. While my father went about his air raid warden duties, my late mother and I watched the glowing object, which was caught in the glare of searchlights from both Palos Verdes and Malibu-slash-Pacific Palisades, and surrounded by the puffs of ineffectual anti-aircraft fire as it slowly flew across the ocean from northwest to southeast. It headed inland over Redondo Beach, a couple of miles to the southeast uh, of our vantage point, and eventually disappeared over the eastern end of Palos Verdes Hills, what's today called Rancho Palos Verdes. The whole incident lasted at least, from our perspective, about half an hour, though we didn't time it. Like other kids in the neighborhood, I spent the next morning picking up pieces of shrapnel on the beach. Indeed, it's a wonder more people weren't injured by the stuff, as we were far from the only folks standing outside watching the action. In any case, I don't recall seeing any truly discernible configuration, just a small, glowing, slight lozenge-shaped blob light, a single blob. We only saw one object, not several, as some witnesses later reported. At the time, we were convinced that it was a Japanese reconnaissance plane and that LA might be due for a major air raid in the near future. Remember, this was less than three months after Pearl Harbor. But that, of course, never happened. Later on, we all expected them that is, the military, to tell us what was really up there after the war. But that never happened either. So, and and this is another interesting point to note, that after 1945, so after uh, 
VJ Day, so Japan surrenders. Uh, the emperor refuses to issue an apology, but you know Japan surrenders nonetheless. Uh, we go over there, and at the time that the criminal proceedings are going on, because just just as there were trials in Nuremberg for the Nazis, there were also um, military tribunals set up to to see what the fuck happened in Japan. Yeah, that you know led things to go by the wayside. But they asked. Um, so in 1942, all those you know years ago at that point, did you guys send a plane over? Did you guys send a reconnaissance plane? Did you guys send a weather balloon, a probe, anything? Like, was it you guys, basically? Like, you guys have lost, released the records, tell us what the fuck happened. February 24th and 25th, 1942. And the Japanese authorities, at the time, with, again, nothing to lose, because they had already surrendered, yeah, uh, stated that they had never sent a reconnaissance plane to California or anywhere on the West Coast, um, unless we're counting the Aleutian Islands up in Alaska, but that none of their aircraft, and as far as they knew, no German aircraft either, had ever been on the west coast uh, of the United States, had ever been anywhere near L.A., and that basically wasn't them, and they washed their hands of the issue. So that explanation, or that possible explanation, yeah. you know, fell by the w- fell by the wayside. Even the military, um, as as we'll we'll go on to say right now, didn't really think that it was what everyone was fearing at the time. You know, a Japanese air raid. Ooh, they think it was something more alien. More, yeah. You know what's crazy though? Talking about the um from from what the the professor, well he was a professor, right? The he yeah he passed away I think in two thousand three. Damn. But yeah, can't talk to him anymore. Yeah. But he he was a child when this happened, so he was eight years old. No, yeah. So so uh, go going back to when he was eight years old when he said he saw one glowing orb. I remember when I was like reading something about the battle of um you know Los Angeles that um. I remember people were saying he saw multiple. So the fact that he said that, like, it was only one, even though people were saying there was multiple, kind of like, oh, shoot, like, you know, like, that shit's real. Because even, like, to be eight years old, I feel like I don't really remember a lot of things from when I was, like, a little kid. Not unless it, like, really stuck with you, you know what I mean? Right. So, like, something for this to, like, still be by his mind and, like, just to, like, have an, an occupation about, like, learning about, like, UFOs and all that. You could definitely tell that, like, it moved them, you know? Yeah, it was definitely... I mean, like, it's easy to see that it was a traumatic event. Yeah, like, definitely. Like, it, it was wartime, and then you don't know what the fuck's going on. They're shooting, you know, hundreds of anti-aircraft shells into the air, and everyone's panicking. But but still, an eight-year-old, they're not that young, and like you said, to devote the rest of your life to the study, not necessarily of UFOs, but to the phenomenon yeah, yeah, of yeah. UFOs, you know? Like, like, why we're so fascinated with that as an anthropologist then I do definitely think that even if he doesn't know exactly what he saw, he knows for a fact that he saw something and maybe he might not want to label it. But again, as he said, like the military didn't really tell them what the fuck happened either. So not necessarily siding with like the people saying that it was, you know, necessarily aliens, but also not discounting that there, there was no real explanation issued by, by any authority at the time. And it's crazy. And you know what? Even going back to it too, I I remember like them saying that they they never issued what happened, but I could have sworn just to like please the um public that they said that they were doing like some sort of um training in a sense. You know what I mean? That was mm, okay. There's there's multiple theories as to what happened, and there's a number of different and contradictory official reports issued by the Navy and the yeah. Army as to what happened because. Might as well read it right now. Like, there's there's a government document released some decades later 
that briefly summarizes the initial contact or the initial um, spotting of the craft somewhere off the coast. Yeah. And it was, you know, government documents kind of loose. It was it was basically an excerpt from uh, from a book issued by one of the military colleges. I don't think it was West Point, but this is the official kind of army version that just kind of slipped out by the wayside. But it it reads as follows. Radars picked up an unidentified target 120 miles west of Los Angeles. Anti-aircraft batteries were alerted at 0215 and were put on green alert, ready to fire a few minutes later. The AAF kept its pursuit planes on the ground, preferring to await indications of the scale and direction of any attack before committing its limited fighter force. Radars tracked the approaching target to within a few miles of the coast, and at 0221, the regional controller ordered a blackout. Thereafter, the information center was flooded with reports of, quote-unquote, enemy planes, even though the mysterious object tracked in, from sea, tracked in from the sea seems to have vanished. So again, this this kind of official version, which even people in the Navy, people today deny, was that nothing was ever sighted with radar at the time. But here... The version that the army put out was that yes, uh, a Foo Fighter and a UFO, something that they couldn't recognize, was tracked 120 miles off the coast of LA. They tracked it. It got lost again in the Santa Monica, Santa Monica Mountains somewhere because the radar was, you know, as good as it was for the time. It was still relatively primitive, so the the shadow I think they referred to it yeah. of the mountains made it impossible to to track it after that point. But point being, they lose it. They lose it at some point, and then afterward, reports start coming in of multiple craft. So it's always that that story of like one craft kind of approaches, and then after that, people start seeing it everywhere. And that, to me, it might be an indication that maybe there was like an original sighting of what, who knows. And then afterward, as people saw maybe one thing, then every little cloud in the sky to them was, oh, you know. Oh, shit, yeah. And you're like, oh, they're fucking everywhere. Right, and it would be understandable uh, based on how on edge everyone was at the time, you know, with the war going on. And the Navy had issued, as I said, a report, and this is where it gets kind of vague. They had issued a report, expect a Japanese air raid today. And I don't know on what intelligence... They issued that report, but they were like, it's going to happen today. And nothing ended up happening, at least not, yeah. you know, a, a Japanese air raid as they suspected. Well, so someone knew something was going to happen. That's OK. That's where the conflicting oh, that's kind accounts of get interesting. Yeah, because the Navy's official stance on this was they said it was war hysteria. They said that, you know. The the men manning the anti-aircraft guns, a lot of times these were older people that maybe hadn't been in active service. You know, there was civil, civil defense, so fucking civilians, like yeah. fucking old fucking old dudes, block watch captains, weekend warriors that weren't like the best trained military personnel. And then you add to that the anxiety of like Pearl Harbor happened three months before this. Oh. Right? So everyone's, everyone's on edge. And he said, you know, one person, what, what? What uh, some of the crewmen later refuted, but but the Navy basically said, like, one guy got spooked or one artillery battery got spooked. They started shooting, and so everyone around them, you know, the next battery started shooting as well. And then the, they started pointing searchlights into the air, uh, mostly over Baldwin Hills. Um, I think around where the Fox Hills Mall is now. 
and they just started shooting wildly into the night because everyone's kind of spooked. Like yeah, one course. person shoots and it sets off the chain reaction. That was that was the Navy version of of events that basically said like, okay, like it, it was nothing. It was you know fucking people's imaginations and fears got the best of them. The army and not just the army but the the Secretary of War, uh, Henry S. Stinton, um, he said and he maintained for a couple weeks after the fact actually that. 15 aircraft had been spotted off the coastline and he even ventured to say that these were maybe civilian crafts that had been commandeered by agent provocateurs oh and at this time too fucking let's not skirt around the subject um i'm not 100 percent on the dates which points to how shitty i am at fucking history but um the the internment camps like at manzanar were being set up around the time so there was a lot of anti-japanese hysteria yeah and so um, Stinton's theory was that maybe some Japanese Americans, agent provocateurs, you know, sent over to incite panic, had taken civilian aircraft like Cessna type things and that they had flown over restricted airspace on purpose to fucking spook people and get them jittery and, you know, oh, wow. kind of contribute to chaos. And yeah, because people are dicks like that. People are dicks. Yeah. Like at, at this time, the airfields were all under... Okay, and this is we're gonna we're gonna sidetrack a little, but okay, okay. But um, even at Pearl Harbor, the reason why the Japanese attack was so successful in destroying American planes and uh, ships was that the U.S. Uh, already kind of was seeing a war on the horizon with Japan, and there was a sizable contingent of Japanese Americans living on Hawaii. Death. But they were, yeah, but they were more concerned about the Japanese Americans sabotaging the planes yeah. than about an attack. And so they lined up the planes wingtip to wingtip and they lined up the battleships along uh, Battleship Row to try to kind of keep it all together and like guarded because they were more afraid of the civilians doing something because again, they were being fucking racist. Yeah. And so when the attack finally hit, everything was kind of bunched up. And so the same thing happened in LA where all these military installations like. The fighter aircraft, all the supply depots, that stuff was all bunched up and heavily guarded. And so what Stinton's theory was, some Japanese Americans, uh, they took civilian aircraft. They flew over trying to scare us, trying to cause mass panic in L.A., trying to, you know, destabilize situations on the home front. It was a psychological warfare stunt just kind of to flex that that they could. Because around this time, also a couple months prior, a Japanese submarine had actually surfaced somewhere near Santa Barbara. It resurfaced again later later that time and actually bombed uh, uh, an oil refinery again near Santa Barbara. So, you know, war hysteria definitely seems, seems to be uh, a plausible explanation, save, save for the, the accounts that, that were repeated ad nauseum by the crewmen that, like, no, like, I wasn't spooked. Like, I know I'm green or I know fucking... That I'm just a uh, uh, civil defense fucking nobody, but I know what I saw and like I, I wasn't trigger happy. Like we aimed deliberately at whatever was in the sky and we couldn't recognize it as any Japanese aircraft or enemy aircraft. Yeah. But that's that's where it gets trippy because these are there my thing is there was no reason for Stinson to issue that alternative version of events where he said Yes, there were 15 aircraft and fucking there was something as opposed to the Navy saying it was nothing. Stinton 
weeks after that, retracted that version of events and said, oh, actually, it was a, a weather balloon. He, he took it back. There was a weather balloon. It's all contradicting. It's, exactly. all like, it's all different. It's all different. But for no reason is yeah. my thing because I, I feel like they could have played it off. Just go with one version of events. But no, um, the Secretary of War said that it was this, that it was uh, saboteurs. The Navy said it was nothing. Yada, yada, yada. But all these eyewitness reports say that they saw lozenge-shaped, again, like blimps, yeah. but turned the other way around, glowing, either one or multiple ones, uh, flying over L.A., over all of L.A. fucking county, practically, and that they were on a trajectory straight for downtown, that for some reason, as we said, you know, executing maneuvers that no... Uh, single engine fighter or bomber of that day could have executed, turned abruptly westward and changed its course and then finally disappeared somewhere around uh, the Long Beach coast. You know, never, That's never too close. To That's again. too close. That's too, yeah. But, um, but yeah, that I, I do have a quick, I want to, I want to tell you something. So you're, you're saying in the beginning that, when they saw this UFO that it was moving kind of like not what they really had at the time, correct? They, yeah, that's correct. So they pointed both to the maneuvers that it ex- that it executed, that planes at that time, they weren't that maneuverable, they weren't that nimble, they couldn't turn on a dime, and that also uh-huh. that it, it was at speeds when it was coming in from the coast that planes couldn't fly it at the time. The engine would have stalled. And then the plane would have crashed. A possible explanation was that, and they did do this during the war, was that they would fly in at incredibly fucking high altitudes. They would kill the motor, and then they would glide to their destination. But again, the route that it took and the altitude that it had doesn't line up with that version of events. The thing would have fucking crashed. Yes, but but then you said that later on. That's when we got the jets that could do something similar? Yeah, so now, yeah, now we have, like, all these stealth aircraft that could for sure do things uh, like that, that could turn on a dime and fucking, you know, uh, slow their engines and fucking almost hover over a fucking target. Now we have that technology, but in the early 1940s, like I said, the best thing that they had ever seen was the Japanese Zero, which was a very zippy aircraft that was you know the cutting edge of japanese technology and that we couldn't we you know all all our airplanes were fucking dog shit compared at least (laughs) they were so there was nothing that these crewmen had seen or that we knew of at that time that could do shit like that and that's why okay 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 so let me let me tell you this because i remember hearing a conspiracy theory that like aliens would like come down here to help us in a sense right not even to, like, help us, like, let's say, like, you know, with, like, stuff around or anything like that, like, building buildings, but help us as in, like, knowledge. Yeah. So, so pretty much the fact that you said that they saw this and they didn't really understand it and, like, the way they were moving couldn't be, you know, a plane at the time, right? Or, like, an aircraft. But then later on, we make the jet that's, like, something similar. So, in a sense, like, do you think that, like, you know... You know, quote unquote, the aliens came to show them that, and then like, of course, ever made the jet was like, "Hey, do you remember that one time that like, you know, we saw that very fucking strange thing back in like, you know, L.A. Do you think we could possibly, you know, copy that type of like movement or try to like implement that to a new jet or like a new plane or you know, um, spacecraft or whatever that we could do to kind of have something similar like that?" 
I mean, yeah, like like I don't I don't know how familiar our listeners are with, you know, the kind of lore that's been put out there, but that's the the theory with like Roswell that after 1947, um allegedly uh craft crash landed and fucking that's why we've had so much technology and such unprecedented technological growth over the last uh, half a century from the 1950s onward like the that the silicon chip and fucking jet planes and all that stuff came from um technology that we either salvaged and reverse engineered from like a downed craft or that these beings kind of shared with us and then just because this is going on like during world war ii we can kind of go into this this little tangent because it it fits within it fits within the mythos but um i'm not sure how familiar you are with like germany's efforts at the nope not at, at all <laughs> okay so toward the end of world war ii um 1944 1945 you know basically the the soviets had fucking smashed the germans over on the eastern front um the the dreams for a greater thousand year reich were pretty much destroyed at that point germany um was gonna lose some way or another maybe there was gonna be uh an armistice maybe there was gonna be uh a mediated peace maybe there was gonna be fucking any any number of things but germany wasn't gonna win the war that was that was clear after fucking stalingrad yeah you know things weren't going well for them and so germany had limited resources limited manpower they fucking they couldn't really compete with the allies and so they started putting a number of resources into these these programs that were called uh wonder waffe programs basically that translates like wonder weapons these war winning yeah war winning weapons that fucking they're they're so terrible and they'll inflict so much damage that the allies won't have a stomach for a fight um we're we're gonna we're gonna bloody their nose enough that they're gonna come to terms that we're gonna come to some sort of peace that's at least you know that we can bear so like the the rockets the the earliest rockets and and oh fuck we could go into operation paperclip with this but i'll try to scale it back <laughs> oh shit but like the v2 rockets that what Germany, a nerd what a this nerd guy, dude because it all no because it all ties into to ufology lore but like what is the tie into aliens like that what is the tie into aliens we're, we're, we're getting to it so like the v2 rockets that germany started sending uh to britain so like early early fucking rocket technology um uh, a lot of innovations in small arms like the first uh assault assault rifle the first kind of you know uh you know uh squad used practical fucking machine guns a lot of a lot a lot of things of that kind and then also the jet tying it back in okay the first jet um that we kind of have the schematics for that was kind of being conceptualized was was a german design the oh. germans were way the germans were way ahead of us the german air force was fucking the the best thing that they had it, it was the the cream of their armed forces and they were already designing uh at the close of the war uh a jet that would have outperformed all the kind of propellered planes that we had at the time and so people kind of theorized like how and and of course like necessity and desperation are the mother of invention like if your back's against the wall you're gonna start spitballing all these fucking crazy ideas Fair enough. but people theorize like how in the last days of the reich fucking with you know the walls crumbling around them with the writing on the wall were the nazis able to make all these technological advances you know 
And I so heard. One, I heard. I heard it's because they had help from the aliens. Exactly. And so one of the theories put forward was that this design for the jet that was, you know, years ahead of what the Allies had, that the reason why the Germans were were able to drop those plans was because they had gotten help from some unnamed extraterrestrial. Yeah. And that they were mass producing all these fucking crazy weapons. Like they they had this thing called uh, uh, fuck. I forget the name. But it was like a land ship, basically. Yeah. It was like a hundred ton fucking tank that was going to steamroll over the Allies. And everyone was saying, like, this isn't a practical fucking design. Like, the people who designed this were crazy. There's no way that they could have ever manufactured this in large numbers and put it into the field. Yeah. Like, what were they thinking? And so, again, the line of thinking for ufology theorists is that they were getting outside help with the aliens that were kind of secretly assuring them, like, like we're going to help you win this war and that these designs actually weren't far fetched that they were getting secret supplies and you know technological help <laughs> from aliens and that that's where and that that's where we got the jet yeah 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 don't don't forget to breathe okay don't forget to breathe cuz okay. i see you going really hard right now <sighs> <sighs> fuck yeah yeah dude fucking um my my version card is showing you sounded, fucking right now. You sounded now. like Eminem when he was like spitting that like lyrics for uh the rap god right at now. At the <laughs> end of fucking Eight Mile, the fucking <laughs> against fucking Falcon. What's his name? I don't know. Adrian bro, Mackey, Brody Mackey. Don't know that one fucking Avenger. Anyway, yeah, the Falcon, the Falcon. But um, and then just just to tie it in all together, have you heard about Operation Paperclip? No, I have not. You have not heard about Operation Paperclip. All right. So the line of thinking, and I, fuck, they, they, it sounds like I have tinfoil on my head, like fucking, you know, I'm crazy, but no, this is just something that I've heard on my deep dives into fucking, you know, conspiracy theory videos and whatnot, as, as I'm sure we all have at 1 a.m. in the morning. But um, Operation Paperclip itself was very real, um, very real, sadly real, that fucking, that we did something that shady. But basically, the U.S. and the Soviets did this as well after the war, recognizing that the Germans, for whatever reason, were years ahead of the Allies, technologically speaking. They kind of issued pardons to a lot of high-ranking Nazi scientists, and we brought them back over to the U.S. We, you know, destroyed their former advent, uh, blah, their former identities as fucking war criminals. We kind of expunged their records, so to speak, and we had them work for us. Um, Walter von Braun, uh, head of NASA for a long time, he was a fucking well-known Nazi. And it was, he, th there's the whole white myth with, like, the German army wasn't complicit in war crimes. Yes, it fucking was. But there was this line <laughs> of thinking, there was this line of thinking at the time that the fucking, that some of the allies bought into, that it wasn't so much the Wehrmacht that had committed war crimes, but that it was, um, the Waffen-SS and the Nazi party particularly, that, you know, these were just soldiers following orders. And so they kind of made that excuse for a lot of scientists saying, you know, these guys weren't Nazis. They were just Germans and their country called on them to do a service. And so, you know, they did it. But no, Walter von Braun was a fucking he was deep into Nazi ideology. He was a Nazi. He was he was a party member more than a civilian. But he and, you know, a lot of high ranking German scientists, you know, uh, doctors, um, rocket scientists more than anything were brought over to the States. And it is said, again, according to ufologists, that 
um, they brought with them not only all these plans for wonder weapons and for what would become our space program, yeah. but that with them kind of came these ties to an unknown alien organization. Dear God. And that with their technology, kind of because the Third Reich fell and for whatever reason the aliens didn't want to work with the Soviets, that we kind of inherited that as well as their war criminal scientists, this kind of relationship. Yeah. And so that after we won the war and we became, you know, one of the two vying uh, superpowers that we had this kind of technological exchange with with the the alien races that had visited us. And that it was yeah. actually <laughs> and that it was actually Eisenhower oh, dear God. who kind of formalized the treaty with them and that. And that yeah, all the all the fucking fruits of the military industrial complex are somehow also tied to so the if, alien agenda. So okay, that was very interesting, but I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna address this question towards you. Alright. Do you believe that? Fuck. I think Alright, I'm I'm this is a chick this is <laughs> okay. Okay. Long okay. story short, no, I don't believe it. Okay, and I think... but so even though you just gave us a whole thing about how like this happened, this Project Paperclip, and you're telling me you do not believe it. Okay, no, I believe no. Project Paperclip is is very much real. Okay, the alien, okay, okay. yeah, it's 100 percent fucking real, uh, well documented. But the the aliens being a part of it. Oh, okay, 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 okay. That being said, I do think that the Battle of Los Angeles, that whatever craft, um, mm-hmm. you know flew over our airspace not being japanese not being german and certainly not being fucking the work of imaginary asian provocateurs i do think that that was an alien craft yeah. of some kind do i do i believe that fucking we have a a treaty with the fucking aliens and that's the reason why you know um we got all these advances in technology and in warfare. No, like that's it's no, not at all. That that's a justification that I think people make. Yeah. Because they don't want to believe that human beings are capable of that much evil. Fair enough. And that we're that imaginative when it comes to destruction. They're like, there's no way that fucking like we could have come up with this. Like it has to be aliens. Yeah. And that's kind of just a naive explanation for the fact that as humans, we're dark, flawed creatures, and that. You know, the U.S. government fucking is one of the shadiest governments out there and 100 percent just took help from evil fucking Nazi scientists instead of hanging them <laughs> like they should have. And that's the truth. And we come up with these theories because it's sad to to recognize that. But it's the truth. Like human beings are shady and we're smart Yeah. and we can come up with these things. But I do think um, that whatever fuck I forgot his fucking name. C. Scott, whatever the fuck, professor of anthropology over at uh, Oxy College. That what he saw, that glowing lozenge thing, was a UFO. Damn. I don't know what its intentions were. I, I believe were. it, too. I, I definitely believe it, too. I honestly don't think the intentions... I feel like if they ever did come down, I don't really think it was from um, them trying to harm us. I feel like it was mainly them trying to, like, observe. You know what Study I mean? Study us? Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Because, like, think about it, you know? Because, like, if they had this technology where you're saying, like, you know, they were able to, like, move fast, they probably had the technology to, like, possibly get rid of us. But it's like, like, you know how in nature documentaries, when the yeah. fucking, yeah. Gazelle, <laughs> right? When the gazelle's about to get fucking eaten, yeah. homeboy from National Geographic doesn't step in and fucking save the gazelle. Because it's, it's nature, it's natural, it's like the, the law, what's that one word I'm trying to find, it's the, um, the circle of life in a sense, you know what I mean? 
Yeah, and then like as a fuck is it like in uh, in Star Trek, like the Prime Directive. Never watched Star Trek. Okay, fuck it. <laughs> it's overrated. But fucking <laughs> for, for fucking those those Trekkies that still live at home, like fucking I do. The Prime Directive is basically this idea where um, if we ever become a spacefaring people, um, there's going to be a set of guidelines um, for how we interact with like other civilizations. And one of them is you do not interfere with how a fucking civilization is developing because it's not really our pr- place. Yep, exactly. And that's yeah. why that's why I say that they mainly come here to like observe, you know what I mean? Because let's say that if they were here to like help us, in a sense, like I, I like I said, I don't think it would really be to help us as in like building something or anything like that. I feel like they help us in a sense of giving us ideas, giving us like you know like pretty much like you know food for thought in a sense. Like yeah, stop being fucking assholes to each other. Yeah, yeah. or like not even that too, but even it's kind of like you know like they probably think that like yo these people are very under you know they're um, primitive. They're, yeah, yeah, they're not yeah, ready exactly. for yeah. Exactly. So that's that's why I brought up the whole jet thing. Where it's like they showed up saying like, hey, like, look what we have. Oh, like this is possible. Yeah. This technology is possible. Exactly. And we... Yes. And then that's where like you said, like, you know, we didn't have that at the time. But now we do, which is, you know, you like you said, called a jet. I feel like they come down for that. Maybe they're not allowed to. But like, I feel like they're like, you know, kind of like what you're saying. Like, these guys are fucking slow. Like, they're living back like in the caveman ages. Like, let's help them out a bit. To spur fucking the next like jump in, in yes. technology. Like, have you have you seen fucking... Uh, uh, 2001 a space odyssey nope okay basically but that's the fucking premise that you just fucking described like this obelisk arrives and it basically spurs on the next step in human evolution like this one the first fucking scene is that it shows up among a group of neanderthals and then one of them touches it and for whatever reason like it it gains the knowledge of like tools yeah and so it starts using like a bone to do shit and with the knowledge of tools comes you know the the concept of a weapon yeah. and then with the concept of war, of a weapon comes war and war spurs us fucking because we're you know from being this communal fucking you know group of primates that tries to work together into this other thing and fucking ambition you know uh, leads us down this other fucking path um till so we can eventually develop space travel and then yeah. once that happens the obelisk appears again yeah like that <laughs> and once and once we have space travel then we can take the next step and stop being monkey people with yeah. the capacity of destroying ourselves and our planet. And we can finally, you know, yeah. cut our fucking bullshit and, you know, return to a more communal way of life. Of course. But, yeah. um, no, fuck. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. What were you going to say? What were you going to say? What was the original question? No, because fuck you. <laughs> I I wanted to address something that you. What was the last thing you no, said? No, sorry, too late. You no, you went to a whole tangent. No. You digressed so much. Fuck, talking about different conspiracy theories and projects of the government. But look, we are kind of, you know, we're already past time, which is fine. But I wanted to tell you one more thing before we end it. Is that I was reading recently that I guess like NASA is putting out like what's that thing they call when they put it out in space? A uh, freaking um a probe. In a sense, yeah, I guess, but I guess this probe is really, like, high advanced where, of course, it could still scan planets from far away, but it could also scan what's on the planet. So, pretty much, you could see if there's any, quote-unquote, living things on the planet. And the crazier thing about it, too, is that, from what I was reading on that article, is that um they're trying to get priests to, like, pretty much go to outer space, and if they do find said life on 
the like planets and they're gonna send these priests to like you know like like, like learn like religion and all that and i thought that was the craziest Come, shit was that like a ever. satire fucking piece or I, was it real i have no, no like these were like priests not even like an ordinary priest like it was like a priest i was gonna go you a know, space tra- missionary pretty much was this pretty like much because catholics are fucking crazy catholics will do that fucking <laughs> shit like i don't <laughs> dude like oh fuck um what was that missionary what was that island like off the coast of oh are you talking the... about the one where the guy ended up like getting fucking arrowed yeah because yeah, fuck yeah because yeah no one fucking asked him to yeah, go he, there he tried he tried to teach them uh christianity and like it was like that. Was, I know what island you're talking about. I just forgot the name of the tribe, but yes, it was very. Is it off the coast, dude? Fucking, I don't even remember what was it off the coast of India. I don't. I, remember I don't the remember. Fucking... I don't remember either. But I remember that story very well. That like you know, of course, it was very isolated tribe. It said it's pretty much like forbidden to go there, you know, because like we just don't know. Like we probably don't know. How to, we don't know their language. We don't know like you know their immune systems. Like which again would is the reason why yeah. fucking we wouldn't be fucking visited. Yes, yeah, exactly. And and the reason why like that guy went because he wanted to teach them about religion and from what i heard from what i was reading from like dude because i was a while back but from what i remember is that as soon as he stepped foot on the land that he just got shot by an, a bow and arrow and just like died right there and then and you know the crazy parts too about it is that it, it's kind of sad don't get me wrong i know he did go there on his own like you know will but it's kind of sad because they, they can't retrieve that body is it really sad you know? is it really dude imagine we'd done that fucking shut up <laughs> to a to a spaniard named cortez Fuck. but but the thing is that you know they can't you can't retrieve the body but then i remember there's rumors going around that the tribe probably ate him too to fucking gain his gain his strength i don't know I mean, <laughs> fucking yeah i mean yeah fucking play stupid games win fucking stupid prizes yeah fair enough but yeah Damn, but uh, space space missionaries, fucking I, just, I, I, food, food for thought, food, food for, for thought. thought. Guys, just think about dude, that, dude. Isn't that isn't that funny though that we're already assuming that we're morally superior to whatever is out there That's instead bad. of sending like philosophers and scientists to see what we can learn from maybe yep. extraterrestrial civilizations? We're like, oh no, we. Trust me, we have all the fucking space dude, wizard we, we, answers. We, we think we think we're hot shit, bro. Like the human race think that we're above all. Like we think we're at the top of the food chain, you know? The zenith of yeah, fucking which I like I can't disagree or dis like I can't like agree or disagree with it. Oh I, fuck, I can't even talk right now. I can't disagree or agree agree with it right now because of course if an alien civilization did come through, I feel like we wouldn't really be on top anymore, you know what I mean? I feel like we would have to be more um humble, you could say. But, fuck. The thing is, there, there's this, um, I forget the name of the fucking, of the concept, but it basically says that the reason why we don't find intelligent life is that there comes a point in every civilization's technological development, which is the point that we're at right now, where either you take that next evolutionary step or you ensure your collective survival by kind of, you know, fucking putting an end to the bullshit, or where you fucking, you know, destroy yourselves either through war or ecological yeah. catastrophe or, or, or basically you, your wisdom and your technological knowledge and expertise aren't jiving so that you know a lot of shit, but you don't know how to use it and you end up destroying themselves. And only like 1% or less of alien civilizations make it past that like evolutionary bottleneck. And and that's why fucking there's not a lot of them because they, they there might be a lot of life, but it all progresses to this point where there's there's like a question posed yeah. to it like either take this fork in the road or take that fork in the road and most of them make the wrong choice and fucking 
and that's 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 where we're, that's where <laughs> fuck that's where we are now. Okay, well, you know what? This is a very interesting topic. With Christopher Puss, they're gonna come back to this, but we are all out of time. So it really depends to you if you want to do the long outro or not. So I'm just gonna be passing it on to you, okay? The out, dude. I'm fucking winded. You want me to? You, I'm doing the outro, okay? Fucking um, yeah. Ha- ha- happy here in 2022. Our first recording. <laughs> oh yes, of course. Dude. Oh yeah. This There's is a freaking first recording of uh, 2022. We're we're happy to go into the new year with you guys. Uh, excited yeah, about dude, this. Dude, I totally forgot. Yeah. Dude, how holy could you? shit. How could you forget, dude? You forgot too until you said it. <laughs> oh, dude, that's kind of fitting. Like we've we've uh, it's another revolution around the sun, and yeah. it's our first UFO. Oh my episode. Gosh. Wow, that's a nice little winky yeah, dink. But, you know, thank you but, everybody um, who has, like, who are still listening. Yes. People who are recruiting listeners. That's really cool. And people who are, you know, new listeners, welcome. Hopefully you enjoy it. We we make this for you so that hopefully you could fucking, you know, have a good time and laugh at exactly, yes. the bullshit we're spitting. So, um, yeah, that being said, um, we are always looking for... Um, stories and i know that usually in the in the outro i say like spooky stories or paranormal stories but if you guys have a ufo sighting or a ufo story which are fucking that either you experienced or that you heard of or that someone you know um saw something in the sky and you want to share that with us with us then please feel free to do so send those stories on over to the streetlights are on at yahoo.com again that's going to be the streetlights are on at yahoo.com Spelled phonetically, uh, spelled exactly how it sounds. Send them on over or spend, send your supernatural ghost stories over as well. If you're a creative writer and you have some sci-fi work that you'd like us to read, then fucking send that on over too. We'll, we'll read it out. We'll, um, we'll, we'll state your name, you know, fucking try to get, try to get your work out there as well. Um, with that being said, um, happy 2022 folks. And we have a lot of episodes coming at you in the future. Have a good one.